Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Anime Limited podcast. It's been quite a while since we did one of these. Um, it's been uh, quite the year, but we're back, and we're back for a very special reason, because it is Scotland Loves Anime time. Um, we are actually coming to you from the past at the point where you are viewing or listening to this, because it's currently October the 3rd, and we are currently in the midst of the Glasgow leg of Scotland Loves Anime. Uh, but we've been tweaking things a little bit in terms of our jury deliberations this year for obvious reasons uh, to uh, work around the, the current circumstances. Um, so uh, we have done all of our jury deliberations from a secret base in Glasgow. They all took place yesterday, Saturday, October the 2nd. And so here we are to talk about the results of those deliberations, talk a little bit about the films in competition at Scotland Loves Anime this year, and, uh, you know, just to have a general catch up about everything that went on. Um, but uh, before we get into that, of course, I would like to introduce our jury or rather let them introduce themselves. So we'll go round our, our three person jury because we uh, sadly one of our jurors had to drop out at the last minute. Um, but uh, let's go round the, uh, the, the virtual table and uh, we'll start off with uh, Megan Ellis. Um, welcome to the podcast and uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, good morning, Andy. Um, I'm Megan. I work as a sort of freelance journalist, rogue, rogue journalist, rogue sentence assembler. Um, I write on uh, anime, games, kind of anything, uh, anything kind of pop culture, uh, tabletop gaming, that kind of thing as well, uh, and occasionally even uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So that's me. Fantastic. Welcome. Uh, so next up, we have Claire Forrest. Um, Claire, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Andy. Uh, uh, my name is Claire. I am an illustrator. I illustrate comics and children's books. Fantastic. And then finally, for the jury, we have Suzanne Riley. Uh, please uh, let people know a little bit about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so I'm also an animator and illustrator. Um, I do a lot of like explainer videos and character animation. Um, yeah, so that's basically me. Fantastic. And of course, we couldn't have a jury without somebody to corral them and push them into making decisions. And as per usual, our head jury is none other than Jonathan Clements. Hello. <laughs> no, no introduction required. I don't really. think any. I don't think any introduction really required. If, if you've been living in a cave and you don't know uh, who the, the Scotland Loves Anime, uh, you know, returning staff are, then I am indeed Jonathan Clements, uh, jury chairman for the last. 10 years because I don't think we had a jury in the first year um, and um, yes very excited to have our first all Scottish jury and first all female jury. Yeah indeed um, and of course last but not least this podcast would not be complete without the festival director himself Mr Andrew Partridge. How are you doing Andrew? I'm doing great it is Sunday and I somehow feel still cogent and here which I think is probably because we're not spinning plates with two different sets of guests like yeah once, actually I, a I really mean, weird change to be honest I'm it, not... it is it's been very odd um and we've all we've all felt i think quite palpably yeah. the absence of the japanese this year um partly because we haven't had to run around looking after them for the first weekend uh, yeah. which, is, which has made our life a hell of a lot easier obviously we're looking forward to having them back you know 125 million japanese people just turned off but uh it would be uh but, but I, I would, it would be um untrue to say that it hasn't made our life a lot easier this year so yeah, so so yeah, as as mentioned, things a little bit different this year. We have been uh, in Glasgow for our jury deliberations, as Jonathan mentioned. 
an all-female jury and an all-local jury uh, just to, to make life easier with uh, you know current uh, current events and restrictions around it so for people who have seen these deliberations before and have kind of seen how the jury works before typically we do this during the edinburgh weekends and we corral our jury of four into the screenings with the general public in edinburgh they sit through those four films and any others that they want to see and then we all get together and talk about you know those films and the jury come to their their conclusions about it this year for all of the the aforementioned reasons uh we co-opted our secret base as we have mentioned and so our jury actually watched the four films one after the other on admittedly slightly uncomfortable seats which you know whether that has altered their perception of these films you can decide um but uh they've sat and watched all of those films in a different location uh to uh to partake in these deliberations so like i say something a little bit different from the norm um but uh you know the, the general the general gist of what we're doing is the same the general voting is the same so again for people new to this each juror gets two votes that they can dispense they can give both of them to one of the four films in competition or they can give one to one film and one to another and then of course we toss up the uh the final scores and hopefully have a clear winner maybe we don't we'll talk about that in a little bit um but our four films in competition for this year were sing a bit of harmony Fortune Favours Lady Nikiko, Over the Sky, and Belle. So we will be talking over each of those four films in turn here. Um, be warned at this point, there will probably be spoilers. We're talking about films. It's kind of unavoidable as part of that process. So if you're particularly sens uh, sensitive to that, you know, be, be warned. Um, but um, otherwise, I guess we'll we'll get cracking and start talking about uh, about these four films um, in the order in which they were viewed. So, Sing a Bit of Harmony came first. That is the latest film from Yasuhiro Yoshiura, the uh, director of Patima Inverted and Time of Eve, um, which I imagine quite a few people listening to this are probably familiar with, uh, particularly in Patima Inverted's case, that became a little bit of a an SLA classic. Um, but Suzanne, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this this live hand grenades to you and ask um, for just kind of an elevator pitch and a quick synopsis of the film as you saw it. Yeah, so I found that actually some moments were quite heartfelt um, about I guess a story about an AI that is obsessed with one girl, uh, and yeah, so I, I found it like there was heartfelt moments, but then you realised how unnerving it was. So, <laughs> it well, I mean, spe so specifically, this is about a, 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 a robot, girl, an android girl that gets placed in a school in a, in a community that uh, experiments with technology. So, you know, when I hear AI obsessed with girl, I immediately assume it's some kind of male AI stalking her. And although there is an element of that as the story goes on, in, in fact, it's supposed to be quite platonic and it's a, it's, it's a, a the, the gender of the android is supposedly female, if that makes sense. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, Suze, you found it quite sinister. Uh, yeah. I, 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 Megan actually had the most crushing takedown <laughs> uh, for this film. Uh, as as she was foraging through the uh, the, the fruit salad, she uh, she said that uh, if it wasn't for the songs, this would be horror. I stand by it. I think um, you know if it wasn't a cheery musical, if you imagine the soundtrack. You know, wasn't an upbeat sort of a uh, poppy anime soundtrack. She burst in a song. Imagine there was just sort of like a single piano note every so often. 
you know, sort of like Hans Zimmer, like that kind of like a boom noise they make, you know, uh, and that would have been a completely different film. But what was so sinister about it? Um, uh, I, I know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the uh, the fact that there's an AI that's so singularly obsessed with the one person, you know, maybe two people, right? Maybe the boy that uh, sort of reprogrammed her, um, but is so singularly obsessed with one person that she sort of uh, hacks things around this girl, Satomi. Um, you know, she hacks her housing security system. She hacks the school uh, uh, security system. She hacks the sort of uh, the, the sort of recycling system. You can see at later points as well. She's even hacked the uh, robots that are uh, farming the rice in the fields, and they because they all turn to watch her. That's terrifying. You know, the, the sort of idea that you could live in this small sort of town, and uh, every robot is gonna. And every AI system is going to follow you, track your every move, watch you, ostensibly want to make you happy when the robots don't even understand uh, what happy is. And I was quite surprised by it um, coming from the guy that made um, Time of Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting as well because it's kind of revisiting some of the themes of Time of Eve in a different way. Like there are at least two segments of that series or film, depending on how you watched it, that kind of have a similar core theme of you know an AI or an android that is kind of you know not quite obsessed but is sort of you know singularly focused on the happiness of a human character you know usually a child in both of the cases that are kind of in that film and this is a very different sort of this feels like a sort of a, a, a modernized and perhaps more mainstream attempt at discussing that topic again um but yeah i think it, it's it pitches just just the other way in terms of how it comes across compared to how time of eve does it so claire you wouldn't say this was a happy disney musical then no i mean it definitely sold itself as this lovely uplifting story um but there was a there was a scene where uh, the the two young main characters are watching all the the memory the recordings of um the the machine and seeing how obsessed uh, it had been with following this young girl's life and you know they're they've got the big eyes they look so moved and so touched by it and I just kept thinking if that was me (laughs) I'd be running for the hills um and I had the same sort of general feeling that I was watching the whole thing, feeling more and more horrified uh, and slightly concerned that I was having the wrong physical reaction to this uh, supposedly charming high school film. Well, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong reaction. I, I, I certainly feel that whatever Yasuhiro Yoshiura thought he was doing with this film, it did it very well. Um, but um, Megan was almost ashamed to say to us during the <laughs> deliberations that she actually found herself sympathizing with the antagonists. Mm. Yeah, I did. I thought, um, oh, you know, is this the point in my anime watching life where I become uh, the antagonist? Because I sympathize with the adults. There's one character and he's kind of played off. I think it's the guy that drives her to the, um, drives the AI to school. Um, and, yeah. you know, he says at one point, he says, what are we doing letting an AI, an untested AI in a school with um, with no, the, the school didn't know, that the teacher of the classroom didn't know, the, the sort of people in the classroom didn't know, you know, he says, that's, he says, you know, that's a bit 
like I don't think we should do that and I was like yeah, yeah I don't think you should do that <laughs> yeah like there's a lot of ethics violations that go on yeah. which surprised me because like I think it's also possibly the effect of having because like this one as I recall has a script writer actually attached who's not like Mr. Yoshiura this time around as well which means yeah. there's been like I suspect there was a degree of no this is a suspension because like a lot of Yoshiura's um, work is tied to reality like very heavily tied to what would happen and like in that reality it would never not have an ethics test attached mm-hmm. to it and like which this whole experiment would definitely have failed it would have failed from the beginning when like when it's listed in a calendar that someone a child can access who goes to the same school that it's <laughs> happening that, that definitely quantified yes. under like you may as well just put launch skynet today on it or something as well while you're there i yeah. uh, I, I was not expecting the jury's reaction to be quite so negative to this film because i was really enjoying it while it was going on uh, co- although i wasn't really thinking about gdpr violations while it was happening because because <laughs> this is anime we you know we're going to get to kill a penguins later on so obviously there is a degree of the surreal uh, that can be incorporated um, one of the features of uh, this year's voting as a result of our non-lollystick audience award policy is that there is a little button for the audience members to express what they think. So unlike uh, previous years where the audience award and the uh, where, where the jury's only real sense of how an audience is reacting is from being there in the cinema with them. This time, the jury was separate from the audience, but we do have some of their reactions we would yeah. like to share with you. Oh, okay. Um, because, um, uh, unfortunately, because of the way that the, 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 this recording is working, we can't talk about Bell and we can't talk about Over the Sky, but Andy has collated some audience reactions. Um, at this point in uh, the... The, the festival and this is not going to be true by the time this podcast goes out but at this point seeing a bit of harmony is currently the highest scoring film um with some fantastic andy shall shall you and i you know double team this and pick a couple of random comments to read out from from the from the audience um starting with loved it very informative on the uses and future of ai's said one audience member yeah, there were also a fair few uh, mentions of, of Disney and Frozen, like obviously the musical element has kind of uh, has made an obvious comparison point there, um, which was, uh, you know, kind of inevitable. Like the, the one that stuck out to me was, this is like if Disney made how. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh, absolute an absolutely delightful look at the future says one of our audience members uh funny and entertaining with a bit of singing too another excellent film from yasuhiro yoshiura to follow the brilliant patama inverted it mixed up the genres and took us on a really fun ride um a musical journey that will make you happy by the end um a film that took me through my whole emotional spectrum more than anything it was absolutely heartwarming um not every uh, viewer felt that way um, we there was a there was a fantastic takedown from from Alicia Haddock, which which I don't see here because it was actually on on Twitter. I think it wasn't one of the um, one of the comments um, came out uh, on the actual forms. Um, but but basically, the audience reaction was not only very very positive in general, um, but you know the the, the film got a, a round of um, a, applause. And uh, the, the longest quote that we have here is, uh, is um, SLA hasn't finished yet, but this feels like the pro mayor of SLA 2021. Um, 
Clements was right, that's me, when he said it was a movie full of anime tropes, but, the, but not cliches. It was respectful of each character, especially honoring the female characters, not objects of fan service. The messages are powerful, not forceful. The struggle that Japan and most of the world has with females in lead positions in their company and the high and impossible standards they must meet to please the oppressing male establishment. How about that? Yeah. That was... That was mm. the part which got me about the film. Sorry, leaping back on it, the left me about the film was the fact that the, the senior antagonist. I think there might actually be a really like they they played it up for for things on it, like on it. But it was like it feels like it was an underdeveloped story there of like a branch manager who maybe appreciates the genius at one point and has just been like, we've gone off the rails here with FX lads, like. <laughs> Like I, yes. I get it, like a bit like dramatic effect and such. But, but I, I do think that, that that last reviewer brings up a, a, an important yeah. point that did sort of drift into my mind while the show was going on, and then kind of you know evaporated during the rest of the day, which was yeah. that you know the, the Japanese media landscape at the moment is is absolutely obsessed with with so-called womenomics, with promises by the government that women would be in powerful positions uh, in in politics and in in social life and in. in uh, corporations and so on and the 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 outgoing uh, Abe government actually set quotas uh, for women in company um, on company boards for example which were actually more strict than those that are enforcing Canada um, and and for Japan to, to to jump up that curve to jump up that learning curve um, from from being an incredibly you know patriarchal society where women are still trained to speak like children in public service positions um, to, to one of, you know, a sort of Nordic level uh, uh, of equality of opportunity seems very unlikely. And, and I think that the, the part of this film was actually approaching that somewhat obliquely, not necessarily um, in, a, in, a, in a wholly serious way. But, but um, I, I did get this feeling with, with Yoshiura that there are huge chunks of the film where he was saying where, where the, the robot was forming the, the kind of the role of some idiot focus group wandering through an anime plot saying, well, apparently we need an antagonist now. Let's find one. Um, and I, I quite enjoyed that from a, from a writing point of view, the fact that he was, he was looking at the formula of so many high school anime and, 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 and sort of deconstructing them. Mm. I mean, I, I am quite interested to hear like the, the jury's thoughts on, on sort of those comments around the cast and the female characters in particular, because I mean, I, I think especially when it comes to kind of Xion, the, the AI android, like Yoshira had a pretty low bar to clear in terms of being respectful towards that kind of character, you know, this is this is a medium that gave us Chobits where, you know, the Android character is, you know, utterly fetishized and sexualized from the get go. Whereas, you know, the, the deactivation in particular of the Android in this series is a very unsexy kind of, you know, the exact opposite of that. Um, but I'm quite curious, like, as to the, the jury's sort of feelings about the the cast and the, the way that they were presented. And as Jonathan mentioned, kind of, you know, the, the issues around the, the whole kind of, you know, women in the workplace as, as well, like how, how that was, was handled through their eyes. I think, uh, you know, I, I really think it is a film that I will give a second watch, you know, to, with the, all these things in mind. Um, but I think, and I think we all spoke about it at the time afterwards, the scene where um, where the project's cancelled and our, our mother's uh, drinking, uh, all three of us were like, wow, um, she was quite abusive. She was like, go away before I say something I regret. And then she's throwing things. And then she was like, let's just ruin our lives, run away. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> um, and at the very end, you know, you were saying about the womenomics, um, 
at the end, the, the, the mother doesn't say anything. The chairman, who's a man, sits there and says, you can continue. And mm. she, she, she doesn't say a thing. And I was like, how is that? How is that any different from the norm? And really, uh, you know, she still didn't have any kind. Presumably they'd already had a discussion, right? But she wasn't even sitting down. She had to stand by the door. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do what you tell me. I didn't think that was particularly groundbreaking. I, I enjoyed watching the mum and I, I think that the, the same thing, like it, it seemed like it might go somewhere that she might receive praise from the, you know, that she'd created this amazing AI. Um, and at the end, it was sort of, well, you know, try, try again, but with less fuck ups this time. Yeah. Um, you're was, not fired. Congratulations. You're not fired. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was interesting to see her desperation to to succeed in her workplace, and she comes across almost as quite a a distant mother um, for most of the film. But then, when you realise the AI's obsession with making sure her daughter is okay, um, you see the sort of mothering stuff. So it was it was almost like her role as a mother got in the way of her career a little bit or was it made her choices in building this AI slightly misguided as well um I thought it was quite an interesting relationship yeah I've I, I felt it, it reminded me a little bit of something that A.A. A. Gill once said about women in the workplace and the equality of opportunity he said it's not that we want women in the workplace it's that the workplace makes men of us all and we don't like that mm. um and and certainly I mean I hadn't I hadn't really thought it through until um uh, Megan brought it up but yeah the, the, the fact that this incredibly competent, incredibly efficient, incredibly overachieving career woman should, with the flip of a switch, turn into a drunken sot who's given up on her life um, is actually quite damning in, in and of itself. Wouldn't you say so, Suze? Yeah, I thought it looked like her mum was really struggling, like, from the beginning, like, uh, you know, never being home and all that stuff. And she, then the daughter says, like, I take care of everything here like you know the house and she manages it and she's just a young girl and like it's the price to pay for having a successful career and it showed a bit of like what that's probably like in reality that mm. you can't be around and uh, the kids left to take care of themselves and yeah and then with her losing her yeah. job or nearly losing her job and like having this total breakdown it was like well clearly she's not coping with this life <laughs> in yeah, like I've seen that person because I grew up with a single mother and like a twin sister, basically, which was a, a really like a really rough one on it, like for, for the, having to have a career at the same time as like raising two like two kids of the same age who were problem problematic at the best of times <laughs> around the place. Yeah, we weren't exactly well behaved kids all the time, like yeah. on it. And like, yeah, I look I saw it like I can believe the breakdown after because I don't we don't get to see what happened between her and her boss but I've totally seen not seen scenes exactly like that my mum never threw stuff about the house or whatever but I've definitely seen scenes like that where after a day of home to struggle through a particularly male dominated space like on it and had to fight for like she worked for like the citizen advice doing tribunals and such so she had to work with the toughest sort of people in the toughest positions and arguing against the already very Tory system at that point on it, for example, 
that they deserved the money they were due and such. And like, that was, I can believe that she would have, like, it, it was an extreme mm. breakdown, but I can believe also she's had a, a rough fight throughout to climb to where she is there. Yeah. Like, no, I, I agree with that. I think it's, like, it's, it showed a picture of how hard it is to like obtain that kind of role, like, and have a family. And yeah. it yeah. does feel like a kind of a writing escape there, though, to say that this is almost a utopian future. It's just that this company is very unusual and old fashioned, mm. like, as well, because they did drop that in at one point in it. Right. As a... that, that did occur to me right at the beginning of the film, actually. They, they, they set up in a very nice kind of montage at the beginning of the film that, that, that this place, Hoshima, which is um, up in the kind of middle of Japan, a little island off the coast. Um, was uh, this kind of experimental place where they were trying out new bits of technology. So it wasn't necessarily like the rest of Japan. But, you know, there are robots working in the fields and there's a robot driving a bus. And I, and I suddenly thought, what do the people do? Mm. If, if the robots are doing everything, what are the people actually doing in this place? And that, that wasn't really addressed. Um, something that, you know, 2000 AD, the comic did quite a lot, was to say, well, when, when robots perform all of the jobs then what exactly are the people doing? But apparently the people are still fighting over um, the corporate workplace and, and still driving kids to school. Because apparently robots don't do that. Um, but they can drive buses, uh, which I did find a little bit weird. I don't know. I'm not quite sure if the AI was thought through uh, all the way there. But the, the fact that it's an experimental, it's like a prototype area, does give you a lot of leeway there, a lot of writing out, as it were. Um, I don't want to get too bogged down in these deeper issues in a film that is basically Ghost in the Shell meets Glee, um, because there is a lot of singing in it, and I think the singing was was done very very well. I, I you know I'd like to point out, for example, one of my favourite bits where um, the uh, she on the AI has got this idea in her head um, that um, the lead character is looking for, as uh, told me, is looking for a handsome prince, charming, to save her, and therefore he must go to a ball, and so therefore they must go to the gym, and in the gym everyone's doing judo, and she's like, well, this must be dancing, and there's this lovely thing where she, uh, for various reasons not worth going into now, the the, the robot takes on the, the, the school judo champion, um, but it's done as a sort of samba. She thinks that they're dancing, and actually she's flinging him around, um, and I thought that was rather well done. I must admit, I, I'm not a fan of musicals at all. So I felt a bit like, oh, when they started, when Sheon started singing. But I really liked that, you know, the, the, the way that it was animated, it was half a dance, half a clumsy dance, which a teenage boy would probably dance quite clumsily, right? It was clumsy. It was half judo, half sort of weird um, waltz. She's humming. He's like, it's a girl you know but in a very nice kind of charming way it wasn't it wasn't sleazy it wasn't fan service it wasn't played out creepily at all and I actually did really enjoy that part because he was like you know it was this sort of awkwardness of her not knowing how to act awkwardness of him not knowing how to act um and I, I actually really liked his character in general um and his reactions to, to Shion and stuff I thought that was quite that was more like what I would expect from from Yoshura to be honest it was a nice relationship and a he's portrayed as he sort of can't quite manage to perform the way he wants to until he has this moment with her um and there's a, a scene later where she's she's not around and he's taped her face onto the previous <laughs> robot because it was so uh it's such a changing point for him to have this um interaction with her uh, so yeah, I thought that was a nice, a nice moment too. Yeah. 
Um, there were quite a few like comedy moments I thought that were they did make me laugh out loud like when yeah. uh, she like bursts open for the first time that like uh, when she malfunctions. Uh, I guess that yeah, where it's like she's not well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the malfunction was a lovely touch for, for for those of you. I mean, well, hopefully you've all seen the film. Otherwise, we're, we're giving away far too many spoilers at this point. But but the, the 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 robot kind of breaks down about fifteen minutes into the film, and that would be a, that would be a nice short film. And then they go, <laughs> yeah. Let, let's not tell anyone. Let let's let let's see if we can kind of bodge this together and keep going. And that's that's quite nice because that that kind of sets this kind of series of events yeah. in 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 this chain of events in 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 progress which ends up you know bringing down skynet by the end but basically because someone doesn't want their their school robot to not work yeah back to like the the mother-daughter relationship as well i felt the so the fact that the mum had developed this robot in her career to almost do some of the stuff that she would be doing if she was a if she was not a working mother um, and the fact that the daughter, when the, uh, the the robot breaks down at first, her reaction is to corral everybody to help um, her mum succeed was just a really it's it, it was a nice thing as well. You know, she it, like her yeah, mum yeah. she's. It's quite postmodern in the sense that we put all this effort into making all these devices for ourselves. And all they do is let us do something that we could do anyway if we weren't wasting our time making all these devices. The fact that we're all sitting here talking into laptops in different parts of, Ed of Glasgow being a case in point. Yeah, and I mean, that, that, that is interesting, like going back to the, the comment about, you know, what is everybody doing in this world where robots do everything? Because whenever any of the characters talk about their parents, they're all working at the robot factory. <laughs> and so that is literally, yeah, like the only job seemingly available in that town is you, you work creating the robots and the AIs or, yeah, you, you do nothing at all. Yeah, I think that I think this is where the film will actually maybe benefit from a second watch for me as well, because, I, I, yeah. you know, as I, as I was watching it, I didn't really catch it. But, you know, thinking through, it, you know, afterwards and, and this morning and I was like, yeah, they, it, almost every one of the main kids in the film mentions their parent working at Hoshima factory um, in various different ways. And they all have related worries about it. So, you know, they, they this is a spoiler, but they steal one of the father's ID cards yeah. to get in later. And she's like, oh, oh, that could cost me his job. And obviously the main girl, her, her uh, difficulty with her mother working there all the time. And uh, I think, you know, some of the other kids say, oh, yeah, you know, my parent does this, my parent does that. And I think, Claire, you had said it's like a factory town, you know, like what Amazon's trying yeah. to, to, to make. And I just think that, like, you know, going back and being like, oh, yeah, all these kids are worried about their parents um, and, and their parents' jobs. And maybe that's the AI conflict, isn't it? Like, but I think it does need a second watch to pick that up. No, I just think it toes the line really well between optimism slash propaganda. Like, you can look at it from one perspective and see that it's this really lovely, optimistic film about the uh, benefits of AI or you can look at it and see an absolute horror. <laughs> um, but it, that's, it's not, that doesn't make it an unpleasant or an unenjoyable watch. I thought that added to it, that sort of ambiguity between the two uh, very opposing feelings from, getting, from watching the film. Um, we, we've been on this for quite a while and we should move on to the other films as well. So just a, a quick note to say that the jury did not put any of their votes into this <laughs> film. 
if I had been obliged to put my votes in as jury chairman, which I was not, I actually would have put one of them in for this film because I, I did enjoy it very much, uh, despite it being such a creepy dystopia, uh, uh, possibly, because I, I think that um, of the two films I would have voted for in this uh, lineup, um, it and the one that ultimately won were both uh, the best at being the films they wanted to be, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, on that note, uh, let, let us move on to the next film. And uh, spoilers, we're going to be talking about mother-daughter relationships a whole lot more, uh, because <laughs> next up on uh, our lineup was Fortune Favors Lady Nikiko, which is a Studio 4C production uh, directed by Aimu Watanabe, who recent SLA goers may remember from Children of the Sea. Um, it's also a standout here because it is the only one of the four films that is based on an existing work. It is an adaptation of a novel. Um, but Claire, I'm going to toss the hot potato your way to uh, explain a little about the plot. Of How this come thing? Suze gets a hand grenade and Claire gets a hot potato? I, I was, think that's quite. <laughs> I, was, I was I was trying to be topical because food features quite heavily in this. Oh, place. well done. Sorry, I've ruined it. Sorry. I'll <laughs> um, well, it's interesting you've given it to me to explain because I feel like. For most of the movie, I spent trying to work out what this film was about. And when I was writing my notes, I was thinking, okay, is it about this? Is it about this? But at the end of the day, it was a sort of, um, yeah, a film about a mother-daughter relationship and the, uh, it, you know, the embarrassment of being a teenager with a mum who is so different from you. Um, there was lots of kind of small plots within a, a larger film, but uh, yeah, it, about moving from town to town, uh, being a single mum uh, and being a young teenager, dealing with your embarrassing mother. <laughs> and interestingly, I think the Lady Nikoko is the, is the mother, uh, even though this film is narrated by her daughter, um, uh, actually, both these women are actually called Kikuko. Nikuko, it means flesh girl, um, it's all fatty, if you like. Um, and it seems to be a nickname that this woman has actively appropriated, act actively adopted, so that people don't confuse her with a girl who happens to share the same name as her. Um, and uh, yes, they are kind of quite peripatetic. They're wandering around the country, they're living on a houseboat in this quite remote area. Um, with seemingly with very little prospects and the 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 mother figure is very much presented as a figure of fun by a daughter who is an unreliable narrator I think that that's very important to make that clear that that the, the daughter thinks that dogs and trees and, and houses talk to her and she also thinks that her mother is a complete waste of space but that may not be the whole story yeah, yeah. I, th I think that you know, at the beginning, the first uh, the first sort of, what, five minutes of the film where they give you this very, like, bam, bam, bam of, like, Nikuko's, like, past. Um, and it starts off, it's kind of funny. You know, I think she was a, I think, you know, they cut the meat and she turns into, like, a fried chicken. And I was like, oh, here's Japan with the fat phobia, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, and she's very much, it's like, she's like, and the, the sound effect that they use for her walking, it's like, you know, as if she was an elephant. And it, it's like, hmm. You know, and I thought immediately I was like, right, 
and then a few minutes in it starts to go through her life and it's like oh you know she 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 falls for bad men and she makes these mistakes and again and again and again and you think oh so oh, oh okay you know um and then it sort of gets a bit it actually got quite explicit but and you know quite metaphorically so it was like she did anything she could to pay for her young daughter and it was like she was picking blue psychedelic mushrooms and I was like okay who oh, is I this did- for I did not get the psychedelic mushroom reference. I'm too innocent. Yeah, and I was like, "Mm, okay, so she's working, you know, maybe as as an escort, um, as a dancer, and and uh, and you sort of, and that's in the first couple of minutes of the film, and then you get this sort of like the the young girls running and talking to her little friend, and you know, she's the, the lizards talking to her and things, and you're like no really what is this film and who is this for <laughs> and it's in the first couple of minutes and it's really it was quite jarring like um but Suze, you actually enjoyed the jarring nature as an animator you 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 enjoyed the fact that they were celebrating what animation could do mm, yeah like that kind of it, the, the style felt really loose and it had these like such fun sequences and creating like the borders around the frame that I uh, mean Claire talked about they're just like has a really particular style to it. Um, but yeah, just I like those kind of styles that are loose and it's not this rigid, like almost real world. Like I like that it jumped between this kind of imagination world and things, anything can happen. And then it would go to the more like classic anime style. Um, yeah, that's what I liked about it. Yeah, the style uh, was definitely, I think, maybe the most uh, distinct out of the four films that we watched yesterday, and it, it felt really beautiful and really illustrative um, and really thoughtful as well. Every scene felt really well thought out, and the the depictions of her when of the mother when she was being kind of gross were still so gorgeous. Um, and yeah, there there wasn't like a, a bad scene in the entire movie. It was it was really beautiful. Yeah, I think I'd re- I wrote down quite early in the film. This is a bit disgusting, but it's compelling. Like <laughs> there was a lot of you know body humor, wasn't there? Like literal body humor, but you know the farting and the and all that sort of thing. And you're like two oh. or three scenes on a toilet. As yeah, well. and and. and- Oh, it's just there's a and lot the, of the it. grand the grand finale is quite uh, is quite a visceral moment as well, as I recall, which which baffled some of the audience. Uh, I have to say, um, we have our audience comments here, by the way, um, and uh, some very mixed opinions about this film. Um, the thing that really went down well in the cinema was the penguin. Mm. Um, if, if one of you would like to explain what was funny about the penguin, uh, which is supposedly this cute penguin in a local zoo, uh, but, but uh, as Kikuko tells her mother, the penguin's not called what you think it's called and it's not as cute as you think it is. Yeah, I think that was one of the points of the animation that I picked up that I really enjoyed was that they sort of say, oh, let's go and see the penguin. And the penguin gives gives this sort of like Zoolander over the shoulder, like look, right? And it was really jarring and it's horrible. It's a, it's a crusty old penguin that's in a rural aquarium. And it's like, you know, like, it's like the reality, right? Is that probably mm. one single penguin in a, in a small local aquarium isn't going to be this lovely, fantastical, beautiful creature. It's, it's It was like kind of croaky and old and 
actually wants to kill everybody. That's yeah. the thing. The, the penguin, <laughs> yeah. twice, I think, two or three times, it actually you know turns to the camera and says, "I'm going to kill everybody," yeah. um, which is how, you know how I think a lot of pets end up feeling. But um, so anyway, so, so the penguin was very popular. Um, there were lots of people uh, comments here. We've got, "I love this film. The best I've seen at SLA this year so far. Emotional and funny. Great animation. Stellar voice acting. The characters were silly but had a sincere humanity to them. Beautiful mother and daughter story. Really fun to." watch so that is the the positive comments that we had on nikocor however uh somebody said that they really like the coming of age vibe the small town aesthetic and the characters but the film felt constantly fat phobic which i did not enjoy uh, we had a couple of people saying that and this is something that was repeated i think in some of the japanese reviews as well is that you can go too far with with making someone the butt of the jokes in that way um, uh, a few people saying they liked Children of the Sea better, a few people saying they didn't like it as much as Children of the Sea, uh, 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 they, they, they like this more than Children of the Sea, I should say. Um, um, however, um, there's one very interesting comment uh, that I'd like to flag. Uh, movie didn't make any sense, extremely boring. Uh, GFT chairs were uncomfortable too. Why would you pick such a bad movie? Ruined my day. Thank you. I waited an hour for it to screen and waited through the ads. This movie was tasteless and awful. Pompo and Harmony, which are the two films before it uh, in the cinema in Glasgow, uh, was so good. Had a perfect day going. Thanks for ruining it. Oh, I mean, as festival director, first off, I would say you're welcome. Um, <laughs> secondly, should... like if, if I may on this one, given it was me who curated it into the festival to begin with, I like that comment as much as like I don't like to hear anyone had a bad time and I'm just, like the seating point is is a fair point on it which we don't have much control over on that frontier so like not to be like to play it off too much as a comment though that kind of comment actually means that we as curators are doing our jobs properly because every film at a film festival if you programmed it properly shouldn't necessarily be your type of film if you have a diverse absolutely but but i i think like, there, there's a there's a deeper point here which i'd like to yeah. put to you as a festival curator because because um i i think what this this particular person is saying which which i think is a valid point is um should the the last film on the saturday be the climax be the popcorn uh you know eating uh rip roaring pro mare mm. level um epic um and, and this is a question that, that that troubles a lot of screenwriters anyway because uh, when it comes to big budget films this is something that comes up a lot in on the on the script notes podcast when it comes to big budget films when when it's marvel when you're spending you know a, a billion dollars on making and promoting your film then you have to save the world for people to get you know their money's worth and and in fact what we have here is, is normally on the saturday uh, evening it's we do our best to make that the one that the Japanese guest is present at, you know. So yeah. there's a Q and A, there's more of an event, and 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 normally, uh, you know, more by luck than judgment. I don't know. It's been quite a quite a, a, a an action film. Yeah. This year, uh, you know, the Saturday night, which for some people is the only night they went to, it doesn't finish on a downer. Nikuko was the other film I would have voted for as, yeah. if I were a jury member. It's certainly the one that I enjoyed as much as as um, uh, as Harmony. Uh, and yet, uh, do you have, uh, I understand you're saying you have a duty of care to the audience to, to confront yeah. them with things they might not necessarily see. And if so, you've 
definitely done that. But do you have a duty of care to the audience to give them some form of popcorn entertainment as the last film on the Saturday as well? Like I put it to the audience then, how do you define the ending of a day? Because this is not a normal year and it quite possibly won't be a normal year ever bloody yeah. after on it, like yeah. just now. And the point is, is that if you're coming in, in the old days, you might go and see the last film and go for some drinks with a friend and then go, like, go home. Now you might want to go earlier in the day and get home in time to, to order a takeaway or like, like not everyone, everyone is at a very different stage of their, as the ticket sales show for festivals just now as well, like no festival is selling out for like a 400 seat screen easily just now, unless you're in somewhere like a population center like London, which has a huge swathe of the UK's population in it, like to weight those numbers. And like, we're selling well, you know, we're selling, outselling the, the GFT is outselling the capacity of the film house just now, but it's still not selling out. And the fact is that what I need to analyze this year is the heat map of what screenings are, you know, like most popular in the surveying this year will be more important to understand why yeah. people do that. But like what we had was not just a duty of care to deliver entertainment to the audience, we had a duty of care to give people the most comfortable options for them to go and see films. Fair enough. And like, and, it's, and it's a difficult let, balance. Let me put this to the jury as well, because the jury saw the films in a different order. Uh, the jury saw Lady Nicocor quite early on in the day yeah. um, uh, before they saw uh, Over the Sky. And, and they finished their day on Bell, uh, which I know for Claire was, was you know, like a, a, sort of a, a sort of, oh, now I feel I'm getting the epic that I was kind of waiting for. We'll, we'll get to Bell eventually as well. But, but you know, as, as, as the, the jury, if you were watching these films in a cinema with an audience, how would you feel about Nikokor being the last film of the day? Or would you have preferred something on a, on a, on a bit more of a high note? I say high note, Nikokor is a very positive film. Um, I think Nikokor would work quite well as an end of the day film, because I think it is the kind of film that you would come out of and turn to if you'd come with somebody and you'd be like, wow, what was that? I think it's a film that would uh, inspire a lot of chat afterwards between you and whoever you went to watch it with, which is maybe what you want from the last film of the day, rather than to come out and be like, that was great. Mm. And that's it, you know, you're gonna, people are going to talk about it and you could go, I think if you see it together, it's going to be like, that was crazy, that was weird, I didn't understand this bit, I didn't understand that bit, you know, so it maybe encourage a lot of chat, which I think is what is a good end of day film. Yeah, it definitely felt d distinct. Um, and I think distinct enough to be a, a, a lovely final film and one that yeah just has a completely different perspective um and I think that's that's all that you can hope for for a big film at the end of the day is is something that makes you want to talk about it more and certainly I feel like it had a lot to want to talk about yeah I agree like I think it's such a bold film and like especially that opening like it's a lot for your brain to take in. Uh, so like as a first film of the day, I think it would be really hard to get, you know, it might be a bit of an assault, um, but as a end of the day film, I think it works. Um, like you said, it inspires a lot of chat, even if you didn't like some things, like there's stuff to talk about, definitely. Mm. We uh, did, uh, from a historical point of view as well, for people who have not been around in the before times in 2019 and such, we actually also put Children of the Sea, which was Aima Watanabe's last film, as the last slot, actually, of the film festival as a whole. 
So, and like, I can assure you that it was even more psychedelic than, than Nikiko and like in many, like in a lot of ways on it. And it's, yeah, like, I, like, I guess it was also a point that ultimately, as much as we would desperately like it to be the case, not everyone is going to be happy with every, like everything. I lit, like, I could go through, I mean, I've looked through the comments for Sing A Bit of Harmony, there were people there who equally were polarized to get, like, someone was going to not have an optimum end film regardless on it. And like, we, mm. we kept in tone curationally with what we've done before and in terms of, like just general yeah. consideration and, and, that, and, speak, and speaking as, as the guy who has to stand at the front and introduce the films I try and find something positive to say about all the films even if I don't particularly like them myself and, and so sometimes you get reactions on Twitter on people calling me an idiot because I haven't said this film is shit you're all going to hate it um, which I don't think would be a good way to really kind of get the audience going or maybe maybe it would maybe next time you know Dragon Ball's on we can try that I don't know. Um, I'm going to try something now, which Andy may cut, which is to reveal what the winner was at this point. No, let's, let's do it. Okay, because I, I think uh, it'll put a lot of things in context for you as the listeners or, or, or viewers or whatever, if you know that, in fact, the jury voted for Nikuko. Um, this was a, a tie. The original vote was a tie, and there was a little bit more deliberation, and was very, very swiftly we, we uh, ended up with uh, a majority vote in favour of Nikukor. So Nikukor has actually won. Those people who were in the cinema on the Saturday in Glasgow finished on the winner of the festival, uh, as far as the, the jury was concerned. And, we, and we'll come back to that later on. But uh, I, I think it's probably quite interesting to regard the next two films in the context of the fact that Over the Sky, which is our, our, our next film up for discussion, uh, failed to get a single vote from the jury. Um, and uh, was uh, I'd say it was a polarizing thing, but actually everyone was on one poll on this one. Over the Sky was not a popular film at all, um, and I, I, I believe we're going to get Megan to tell us what it's about. Um, that's not much a hot potato or a hand grenade. That's like a sort of a firework that doesn't go off, isn't it? Like a squib or whatever. Um, so Over the Sky is about. Well, it's a tourist advert for Ikebukuro, no? Um, it's uh, about a girl who uh, finds herself in the sort of boundary between life and the afterlife. And um, she has this conflict of, it's not my time to die. You know, quite that's quite a common story to tread, right? It's not my time to die. It's not my time to go yet. Uh, and there's a conflict between, will she go to the afterlife or will she return to life? And, and the sort of conflict there is about um, the other characters trying to bring her back um, to life and uh, dealing with this sort of uh, Requiem, who is a, a, a sort of figure of order, law and order. And I guess you'd say, you know, like he's maybe like death, right? And then you've got this mother goddess who's like a, a, a sort of overruling sort of person, that, person in it. Um, and uh, I think the easiest thing you could say about this film was that it was just extremely derivative. Uh, as somebody that watches, like, I've seen a lot of anime and, uh, you know, at the beginning I was like, okay, well, there's the title sequence from Your Name. There's the bit from Weathering With You. Oh, yeah, they did that in uh, Silent Voice. Uh, you know, if you look at the, an the big, big blockbuster anime films of the last five or ten years and then looked it over the sky, you could almost see where they'd copy-pasted it in. And in fact, I think Eden, but... Claire, Claire, you were uh, you, you're uh, you would not you're not quite as you know hardcore as Megan is in terms of anime fandom, but you said that you uh, you felt 
that this was how you imagined an anime would look, but also that you felt that it it had been assembled with post-it notes. Yeah, for me, my overall feeling was that it was a plot wrapped around a bunch of postcards. Um, there was extended scenes that were just shots of the town that you would pick up at a train station and uh, there, there was interesting parts of the film but for the most part it just felt like uh, a cop-out. I, I felt like yeah it was just there wasn't much depth to it and I didn't really understand what I was supposed to care about in the film, like I didn't really care about the character as much. I didn't understand. I just got fed up of her basically. <laughs> I was like, just go, like it's done. Like, um, you know, it just, it wasn't grabbing me at all. And the one part where it could have been interesting is it, when towards the end, we thought that she might choose the afterlife, you know, she might mm. go on or whatever, but then, it, it failed to even do that. Um, so it just kind of petered out a little bit as well. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we had uh, we had a, uh, one of the jurors who, who may or may not decloak, it's up to, it's up to her, uh, actually tried to sneak out to the toilet partway through the film um, <laughs> and didn't realise that the secret base uh, private cinema had a sliding door and she couldn't open the door and she thought that we'd locked them in. Uh, and that there was no way to escape from this film. And if that's how you feel, and, and, and when she came back, the rest of the jury kind of agreed that that's how they felt, that they, they were kind of being punished by being made to watch this film, which was certainly not the filmmaker's intention, uh, one, one hopes. Um, what you don't have, but what the audience in Edinburgh will have at the premiere, uh, the UK premiere, um, will be a Q and A uh, with the with the director, who was incredibly forthright and incredibly engaging and charismatic in his discussion of the film, um, to the extent that um, people who had seen the film before they they saw the Q and A were saying it feels like he was talking about a different film. You know, uh, uh, I mean, the, if you saw the Q and A first, it's a fantastic advert for the film, um, but not one necessarily that is borne out um, by actually watching it. Would that be a fair for, comment? For me, I think the most interesting parts of that film were the bits that you told us about it, you know, like the things that we knew about the, the his perspective and what he wanted from the film and the kind of backstory were, were more interesting than the film itself. Yeah, it's a very odd situation where the more you know about the director, the more interesting the film becomes in the sense that he was an incredibly shy young man. He had terrible acne that he had to overcome. Uh, you get this sense that a lot of the film's treatment of shyness and, and, and of something which I thought was actually rather clever, if on the nose, was the way that people interact through their devices. So you, you don't just have people communicating with texts, you have people flirting with their devices. The, 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 the way that you first realise that the girl in the film is, is, uh, has got a crush on this boy is the way she carefully frames him in a landscape scene she's mm -hmm. trying to take on her camera. And you see people remembering with their devices as well. And these are all actually you know, rather well done. Um, but I did get the sense that the, anime, the animation seemed rather stretched on the big screen. Yeah, I think the scene that that really came across to me was the uh, the the scene that was just the one from Spirited Away, right, with the train over the tracks and the water, the glittering water. Um, 
and uh, uh, you know there was nothing there was no depth to that literally and sort of animation wise um, and a, a lot of the sort of animation in general uh, is, you know I'm not an animator but I thought oh the, you know there was a lot of still montages there was a lot of mm-hmm. like reused movement there was a lot of like points where just people were talking while facing each other like this and there was nothing in the background and if it was to be a story of retreading her precious memories to bring her back to life then she didn't have very good memories (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Suze as an animator uh, was any of this uh, bubbling away while you were watching it? Yeah there are definitely some scenes um, that like the the still montages there was one where like they cut out the characters and had them flip up like a pop-up book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, <laughs> I feel bad saying it, but it did look quite rough. And Actually, like... the thing is about the still montages is, is that we had still montages a lot in, uh, I think a few cropped up in Weathering With You and a few cropped up in I Want To Eat Your Pancreas. Mm. Um, and when we put it to one of the directors, so, so, so my first thought was, oh, still montages, we're trying to save money. We're obviously doing this last, we've run out. But last time I put that to one of the directors of one of these films uh, from the last couple of years, they said, no, 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 we, we did that deliberately for whatever reason. I can't remember what it was now. Um, and it suddenly occurred to me that possibly even the still montages were themselves a ripoff from one of the recent hits. But they got, oh, well, Weathering With You had a still montage at this point, so we're going to do one too. Um, which which I, I think would only play to the kind of general cynicism uh, with which this film uh, appears to have been put together. Um, and, and, and Megan brings up the, the sequence, which is, you know, a blatant steal from Spirited Away. Um, and I, I did find myself thinking, you know, I, I wish we could have seen the meeting where these things were discussed. And did somebody say, um, no one is going to be going to the cinema who saw Spirited Away. That film is 20 years old. We can get away with this. We'll just do that scene again because it's really cool. Mm. Or did someone say, let's do that scene from Spirited Away because apparently we know when, when you're you know, in a liminal space between worlds, it's, it's a big you know, lake with a, ra- with a railway track across it. Someone made a decision and said, oh yeah, we'll do that and people will think it's cool. I, I can only assume. And, and, and I really don't understand that kind of mindset. Um, and, 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 the, and the weird thing is, is that when you hear the director talk about his film, um, and for those of you who weren't in the cinema, I, I presume this will be uh, a, an extra on the Blu-ray. Um, he is incredibly eloquent about so much stuff going on below the surface of this film that you do sit there thinking, oh, maybe I should watch it again. Maybe, you know, I, I must have missed something. Yeah, I think the thing that really struck me the most was like um, the main character, the girl, um, she didn't. They didn't even give her a surname. You know, she she was a non-character. She was she seemed to exist solely as a file for the boy, and his he got a backstory. He got a family. He got special, like psychic powers, um, astral projection, uh, and you know she spends the film. Her dilemma is that she can't remember what she wants to tell him. That she that she likes him presumably, um, and she can't remember and she can't remember and every every thought every sort of conversation every like interaction she has is all about this other this this boy, uh, and I just thought, well, 
if he's the main character, then why didn't it lean more into him being the main character? Like it's like if if the director wanted him to be the focus of the film, then I think there was other ways to go about it than focusing it all on the girl and her feelings for him. Which and this really annoyed me at the end. You don't even get to hear her say it. Mm-hmm. They they cut it out. Yeah. Yes. Very controversially, uh, certainly for me. Um, the the ending of the film uh, is uh, her leaning over and whispering something and we don't get to hear what that is Um, and I I did actually ask the director myself is that a homage to to Lost in Translation Uh, not not adding that I find it really irritating in Lost in Translation Um, and and I did I did mention this to the jury uh, yesterday in the deliberations as well because this is something that comes up a lot with the interviews that we do with people where we are, you know, we say, okay, we, we spent five thousand pounds flying you over. We've entertained you for three days. We, you know, we put you, we put you up for the premiere of, of your film. We put you on the stage. What do you mean in this scene? And they go, oh, that's for the audience to decide. And you're like, no, it's not for the audience to decide. You've made this. You must have some kind of point to make. And I don't know if it's me being overly pushy in in seeking to have things explained to me, or overly stupid, or something. I don't need to be spoon fed. But don't ask me to make up my own ending because I can I do that for a living and uh, I don't need to pay you fifteen quid to see your film. Yeah, I don't feel feel like it added anything to yeah. it. like it wasn't appropriate. Um, well, I mean, the director, in his defence, said said it, that they did actually he didn't write a line, but he asked the actress to improvise one, and she did. But he then never listened to the line. He said he said that line exists. There is there is literally something that she said, but even I don't know what it was. Yeah, it's just more frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the overall feeling from that is, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> he he is a very young director. Uh, and this is his first film, and I'm not quite sure how he made the leap so quickly from a relatively short TV show to, to directing his own film. So I think that he, he may well be coming back in the in, in the future. Um, but you know, hopefully, I think with a with some with a little bit more guidance at the at the storylining stage about about where his film should be going. Mm. I think out of all the films, this is the one that. I definitely wouldn't watch again I don't think it requires a second watch I'm not convinced that there's much deeper to it 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 was it was what it was and that's fine um shall we move on to Belle uh which uh I was expecting to be a pretty much a shoe-in before any of us had seen it uh Belle being Mamoru Hosoda's follow-up to uh to Mirai um certainly for a lot of people it's going to be the highlight of the festival um, it is. It was originally the mystery film at Edinburgh because we weren't sure that we'd actually get it in time. And when it and when it did turn out and to be the uh, the actual mystery film, uh, it sold out very swiftly to to many audience members, many regulars' annoyance because um, you know there's a bit, a bit of a fight to see it. Um, and uh, in the final deliberations, the initial vote was three votes for Lady Nicholcourt, three votes for Bell. Um, so clearly the juror, the jurors liked it enough to split 50-50 on it, um, but not enough to finally vote for it in the end. Um, Andy, who are we going to get to tell us what Bell's actually about? Um, well, I think we're, we're going to circle back around and I'm, I'm going to oh. throw the speaker-laden whale uh, in, in Susan's direction to, uh, <laughs> to, to tell us a little bit about the synopsis of Bell. Yeah, so to me, Bell was a film about like anonymity, on the internet and this like 
introduces this world it's like an app that you can create your own avatar but it's based on your physical soul. based on your soul isn't it really yeah and then it produces the character and that reflects on your past and your mental state and all these and it produces a character um and you can be someone else there so this it focuses on the main character a girl high school girl and she she has lost her mum so there's a bit of story there and she doesn't have a good relationship with her dad um and she is able to become this superstar um in this other reality um and yeah i think like I feel that the story got a little bit lost later on um, for me um, because then it becomes about this other character, the boy, the beast, and who that person is. And you're wondering if it's the boy at school, like who, what's the identity of that character? Um, but it was to, like the message I got near the end that I liked was about being selfless because it talks about her mum and how she lost her mum and her mum died saving a, child. a stranger a stranger yeah exactly. a, a stranger and then she like spoiler <laughs> gives up her uh identity like she reveals her identity to save somebody else um so i was like oh that's quite sweet um but yeah that's what my sort of take on it like what the film was about as a big fan of hosoda for me i didn't think that it stuck the landing of the film because the first what 20 minutes half an hour i was like no this is it this is the film that's going to win. This is incredible. Wow, I really want a space whale, you know, sub covered in subwoofers. And, you know, I thought looking at it from like uh, Summer Wars, right? So that was like 10 years ago, 10, 10, 11 years ago. And that was on social media was becoming really big. And Bell, this is all about streaming, isn't it? It's all about VTubers and the sort of like, you know, the move into virtual reality. It's an, it's an obvious like evolution of his ideas. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so great. Like, while it looks incredible, the design's incredible, the character's incredible, the, the music is fantastic. And then the middle, I, I sort of was like, oh, right, okay, we're still establishing the relationships between all the characters and the importance of that. And, uh, you know, then they brought in some considerations of, on policing the internet and on, like, the problems surrounded with doxing and uh, sponsorship and things on the internet and what that means for power. Uh, and then it kind of just wandered uh, and there was, you know, there was uh, sort, of, sort of like a lot of things were brought up and not a lot of them were resolved by the end, I thought. That was maybe a theme in a few of the films we watched yesterday, although out of out of the four, I felt like it did the best job of following through. Um, for me, I think Bill would have been the winner. Um, it ticked so many of the boxes, although it had its flaws, it was just so beautiful um, and so spectacular. Uh, and it is my first Tasoda film. I hadn't seen any of his other films. So coming at it from that perspective. Uh, it, and it and in fact, Claire, you were the lone dissenter. You were the only person who refused <laughs> to, to assign both your votes to Nikogor. Uh, when, when we hit the tie break, uh, it was the duty of the jurors to kind of decide amongst themselves, you know, if they would shift their votes, Megan immediately folded within seconds. Um, and, Suze was, and Suze was like, yeah, whatever. But Claire stuck to her guns and she, she refused to give away that vote for Bell. So clearly it, it, it was something that resonated very well with you. Yeah, I think if, if 
I was telling somebody to watch an anime this year, it would be Bill. I think it was the, uh, it was definitely the most kind of cohesive film. Um, it was just so beautiful. I think there was a lot of nuances um, to do with that mother-daughter relationship and the fact that she couldn't find her voice in real life. Her and her, part of the, the story was her mum and her singing, her mum teaching her how to sing and they had this like sort of lovely lyrical childhood and then after her mum died uh, she remains part of the the choir that her mum belonged to but she can't she hides under the table to uh, to be part of it she can't do it and then this alter ego that she has online is all the dreams that she maybe has for herself that she just can't have in her real life and it's a way for her to express those without the pressure um, of her daily life and I also really enjoyed the the little community of women in the choir uh, I, I the, the women in the choir it took me a while to work out what was going on there and you know I having just recently seen Mayor of Easttown uh, which is about a woman who, who's never left her hometown um, the, the realization that this, this this bunch of old ladies in the choir are actually her mum's mates are actually her yeah. school friends who kind of stayed around to kind of to watch over her and in fact know much more about what's going on than she thinks they know was actually quite charming yes yeah. uh, although the the film is sort of um like you said he was massively inspired by beauty and the beast there's a, an element of the fairy godmothers as well from sleeping beauty like there's just this really lovely relationship between them um and th there there's a lot of nice relationships like you were saying um Megan that you weren't sure the identity of the beast if it was going to be the boy she went to school with and I was feeling the same way but um at, you know at, at the start I was almost slightly disappointed that it wasn't him but uh then you find out he's got this sort of just really wholesome uh, friendship with her and he just wants to protect her and look out for her. And I thought that was nice to see uh, a relationship that wasn't romantic necessarily as well yeah. in a, yeah. a major movie. Yeah, I think, I, I totally, I think, do you know, ha about halfway through the film, you know the bit where they're doing the very beauty and the beast and they're sort of twirling around each other and dancing in the sky and she goes to kiss him and she doesn't. They yeah. hug. At that moment, I was like, the beast is her dad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's he's done it. You know, I was like, yeah. you know, I, when they don't, and, it, and they have this pl platonic moment instead where they, where they hug. And, and I thought, it's the dad. Because her and the dad the, uh, have this, like, do you know, they have this thing, do you want to eat? No. Mm. And they don't do that sort of traditional, like, you know, uh, tadaima, I'm home. There's not this sense of family between them. It's obviously broken with the loss of the mother, right? And I really thought, oh, this is his, this, that's his bruises. They, they make a big deal of the bruises being like wounds. Um, and you, you realise quite early on, it's not maybe physical wounds, it's maybe emotional wounds. And I thought, this is the emotional wounds of the dad. And they keep increasing. And I thought, oh, it's because she keeps rejecting him. And I thought, this is, you know, they're really going to explore this idea of, you know, non her soda, right? I thought he's, go he's exploring family again. <laughs> and uh I thought, wow, you know, as soon as they, they didn't kiss and I really thought, oh, that's that that's because it's the dad and obviously that would be strange. But the, and then you sort of think, oh, it isn't. And the dad kind of like peters out and he's not really there until the very, very end. And the boy, he was maybe kind of a bit of a guardian. And then the other boys, the two boys that, that you know, 
again, spoilers, you find out the beast and the other little um the little sea angel as two brothers that are being abused by their father who's who's a bully and abusive. Um and you're sort of that is where it didn't stick the landing to me. I was like, well, they they've set up a lot of relationships and then you don't really get any kind of payoff on them, which you want from a big screen film, I think. You want to know who's connected, especially when it's all about connections, right? The film was all about relationships and connections and, and this online offline divide and stuff. And then you just didn't it just didn't quite clinch it for me, which I was disappointed by. Me the the plot the 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 things that yeah like I think you're totally right but the reason that it didn't ruin it for me is that there's so many other aspects that I just thought were so relatable and so um like thinking about it from who might like go to see it thinking about people I would recommend it to there's like the little goat you you called him a sea angel I was thinking he was a ghost bat but like <laughs> you would want him as a tattoo and you like all the characters you're like this is so. Uh, appealing just so appealing it, like everywhere you looked in that film at any given point at, like you want the art of it you, like you the enjoy thing, it. yeah like on that like the thing I think about when I compare you know my two favorite films is that Belle had clearly had such a high budget and mm-hmm. like the production value is insane like it's so yeah. beautiful you could watch it so many times and see more things like it's gorgeous and the variety of styles and stuff like it's really just a total dream like for the eyes mm. <laughs> um but so like it's hard to compare that level of production to something that is has mm. a lower budget because you're like well they're working with something else mm. um, I mean, oh, yeah Although, uh, you know, of, of the four films in competition, two of them lean heavily on the influence of Disney on Japanese people, which I thought was a very weird thing to see. It doesn't even just lean on that. I mean, there is actual Disney in Bell. They have the character designer from Frozen and Tangled doing the <laughs> CG design. It labels it at the, like in the credits, like to the, like to the person in question. And it's just... Like Jin I mean, Kim, Jin Kim, isn't yeah, it? Jin, like Jin Kim, yeah, like so. It's like it's really, like it's front and center. Like it's like it's this weird and beautiful uh, from a, a production point of view. Suzanne's absolutely right. It's like it takes this beautiful mix of everything, like on it. Like I mean, like so they've got this. It's it almost feels like the Oscars for Mirai was a really seminal moment for so like the Hasoga, well, when, when he saw he had a chance he, when he no, saw no, he had no, a crack no, no, when he saw he had a chance when he met other creatives and had a chance to chill chill out with them and and talk about their love of animation mm. you know they brought together like tom moore from and like his uh like the other cartoon saloon from cartoon saloon in to do like those dream scenes like as he she's trying to find the castle and such and you can like once you know it that they're involved you can yeah. immediately pinpoint the scenes they did also also eric like, wong the art the architect yeah. doing doing the actual architecture yeah but well um, so 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 these are all the um, but, but i think that i think the point that, 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 yeah. that suze was making was that um this is this costs a lot of money if you have yeah. a huge amount of cash then yes you can buy in the world's greatest talents to help you with your film but if you then do that and it doesn't turn out quite as well as the one that was made by three men and a dog um you know based on some woman's novel about a, a, an old town then 
I, I think that Hosoda was setting himself a very, very high bar. Is, is, is that possibly I the way disagree that... on that to an extent because I get what you're saying. I don't just like, I see where you're coming from on it, but he set out to achieve a new bar in animation and he achieved it. He didn't just spend money and waste it. You can get the best talent in the world and still come up with a terrible film. He didn't. He brought together people who love what they do, quite reasonably need to be paid for their living mm. to do it. And they made, like, they achieved, I think, a lot of the bars they set for themselves, which is, I mean, I've never seen a CG anime look like that before. It was flawless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely flawless. I couldn't tell you some of the times the characters were CG, frankly, versus 2D in it, which is a statement of how high they took it. And the music standards, they've created a whole album of earworms. <laughs> basically on it to listen to that. yes and like, in, in fact in fact megan megan said oh yeah I, I know that that one of those songs at the beginning i've heard that before and you were like no these are all new songs if you've heard yeah. it before it's already made its way onto spotify yeah but so, like i don't just like and, and don't get me wrong there's like there's old ways to rate films and stuff but i don't think it's really like i like i don't think that's a fair statement of bell as quite and i'm like i admit i'm biased on this i'm a long-standing fan of the soda as well on it and like I totally think everything the way it's shaken down is fair, but I don't think it's fair to say it didn't hit the bars it was aiming for. Like, I mean, like on it, I, like I think there's there's always going to be something there on it, but like I think the bars it targeted, especially with regards to the budget spend, mm-hmm. like for example, why it needed that money to do it, it absolutely hit. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, I think for for me, yeah, from from the the, the pure animation standpoint, kind of the thing. One of the things that excited me the most about that film is that it feels like it has set a new gold standard for CG and anime because that's that's been a pain point for the industry for quite some time now. You know, everybody obviously compares to Pixar, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and you know, within and out with anime fandom, like CG has been sort of you know an eye roll. Like, why are they doing this? It looks nowhere near as good as kind of you know traditional two D animation. And I think between this and something like Lupin the First, which you know is not in competition yeah. here, but you know those are films that kind of give me hope that the Japanese animation industry is finally figuring it out. And I think Bell is a particularly interesting one because it still keeps the aesthetic and the vibe of anime and it still manages to mix and match CG and 2D, but it is doing it at a level that I don't think anybody else has quite matched up to this point. Right, well, in that case, let's, let's put it this way. Claire is a first-time Hosoda viewer and that worked. But to someone who is a long-term Hosoda fan, which is Megan, and to someone who is a professional animator, which is Suze, is that a convincing argument? Is that persuasive? For how good the film is? Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I I think maybe he had it, this is maybe unfair, I think the animation, the the 2D, 3D contrast was incredible. I think he maybe had it a little bit easier than some other anim- you know some other films will have it by having that clear separation between the real world and a digital world right so he was very clearly able to sort of be like you know this is a digital world so it's going to look different from from reality and and he was able to set that up and but then he did start mixing and matching it and you know later in the film and there, there was points where you were like is this 2d is this 3d i thought it you know it was a convincing argument and that, yeah, it's probably one of the best anim- looking anime films yeah. I've ever seen as a fan of Asoda and I, as a fan of, of watch, you know, I've watched a lot of films um, 
I think it was definitely one of the best looking films I've seen, but that's not the only thing that makes it good. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. It's a point too. Like, and it sounded, it was one of the best sounding ones. I mean, like you said, I, I was like, the song at the start, I was like, I love this song. I listen to this all the time. Wow, how did they get the rights to put that in? And then you're like, oh no, they made it for us. Like, no way. I thought it was genuinely, like I I'd came to it completely separately from Bill, um, which maybe just, you know, proves that it is a real earworm if you can enjoy it completely separately from the film, the, the soundtrack. When I was, uh, when I got home last night, I was like, it was in my head. I was singing the tunes while I was falling asleep like <laughs> but yeah for for me like I just think out of all the films Belle ticked all the boxes the most like if like from if you were looking at it from an art perspective if you're looking at it from a musical perspective uh, if you're looking at it from a how moving was the plot um I, I think it and uh Nikiku it it was close um but I think overall it, it won on across the board for me out of all. And and Nikoko was beautiful. And like I appreciate what you're saying, Suze, about the fact that it's an entirely different level of production standards. And it, it was really beautiful for the constraints it had. Um but yeah, I, the minute Bell started, I felt like it knocked it out of the park, really. Yeah, I think it's your experience of it, and that's the main thing. Like for me, Belle was visually amazing, and I really enjoyed it. I was entertained the whole time. But with Nikoko, I felt like I was visually really inspired as well, mm-hmm. and yeah. I was really enriched watching it. Like the story, like yeah. you know, I felt like you know, I just really enjoyed that. It gave me something extra. Yeah. I think this this the story of Nikako, even though it was disgusting, right? And there was a lot of um <laughs> you know, parts of it were problematic in terms of the fat phobia and, and there was some other uh characters that weren't portrayed uh particularly well. Or, Something that none of us mentioned was the grotesque foreigner. Yeah, the foreigner, yeah, yeah. Um literally like a gorilla. Mm-hmm. Um but it was moving and I think uh, you know, really touching, really moving. It 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 felt like it resonated really well and the story and Belle I was like that looked amazing mm-hmm. um but I didn't yeah. feel that same emotional movement and maybe that is because we've all seen Beauty and the Beast and we've all seen Disney films and, and stuff before so maybe it didn't have the same sort of it wasn't uh it, it didn't have the same emotional resonance because we've seen that story before I, I suppose we've seen the story yeah. of Nikako before but it's weirder right it's it's something a bit newer I mean, have we seen the story of Nikiko really before is the other question I'd ask uh, on it. Well, I, I, on that note, I would say that um, the, the surprising thing about Nikiko is not that it's, it's not the story, it's that it's animated. Because mm. I, I really felt that this was something that would normally be a TV movie of the week. It would be live action, it would be paid for by the Ishinomaki Tourist Board and they'd, they'd shoot it with one OB unit. Um, with you know some you know talento of the day and it wouldn't be very good and no one would watch it um but but by putting yoshimoto kogyo this huge osaka talent agency behind it by putting incredibly heavy hitters behind it by putting saturday primetime tv big hitters uh, behind this film in so many of the roles and animating it what they've effectively done is they've made an, an an animated film in japan that is not for anime fans at all 
I mean, this is, I mean, this, this I think is going to be the, the ongoing problem with selling um, uh, Nikuko to the kind of people who normally buy anime is that this is for the Japanese mainstream. It is not for the otaku audience. And I think that's going to make it uh, quite a difficult sell. That doesn't mean it's a bad film in any way, but it's not the kind of film that normally shows up in anime, which is why I applaud it showing up in this festival at all. I mean, like, I think Sue's also brought up some good points as well, comparing the two, like, Bell and, like, Nikako as well on it. Like, it's like, both can be good in their own ways, but it's like, it's, it's what makes the film for you and your experience with it. But, Matt, and like, I, like I've seen this with Nikako across festivals, actually, so far that it's appeared that it has resonated, like, pretty well. But, like, there are some films that just fit a festival absolutely perfectly like in terms of the experience that you're getting and you're seeing something that's new and may not be in mainstream. It's what's God God's anime lives for, basically, as well. Like all film festivals do is to... Like a film like Bell will do like perfectly well, like extremely well, I think, actually, in the mainstream audience, like like on its own. I think oh, something yeah. like Mikako will... In, in many ways, Bell is also a film not merely for the attack audience. Yeah, certainly. like yeah. It's, it's absolutely... I mean, it, it lives up to that target they set trying to reach like Disney like Disney level standards basically on it I think and like as a result it has a lot of things with it when you put it in a festival environment like and there's a work like a body of works behind it to compare to mm -hmm. like it makes a different kind of experience as well I think which... I think one of the I think one of the things that I would compare them to is that Bell is extremely current Right. It's, you know, the, the Ariana Grande did that concert in Fortnite that was very reminiscent of the Bell and the Whale. And, uh, you know, it was very, uh, you know, it's extremely too, it's extremely like razor edge, isn't it? With the, with the whole digital identity yeah. and the VTubers and things. Uh, Lindy Nikuko uh, it felt completely timeless. Like when, when was that film set? You know, there's that weird bit with a robot mm -hmm. for like one, one scene, <laughs> but that film could have been set 20, 30 10 years ago could be now could be 10 years in the future and um you know they were just completely different in in the fact that bell was like okay this is the a film of 2021 but nikako is you know could be a film set now in the past it the could it, it could be set in 1982 it could yeah, yeah. We, we, it could be set at the same time as chie the brat which is the uh, the film that i mentioned which is a Isao Takahata made in the in the 1980s, which was a very very similar story, and which this film occasionally pastiches. I don't think we mentioned the Totoro references, um, for example, in 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 Nikuko as well, which are there to you know as a little thing for people to mention. But yes, it is indeed very timeless, unlike my hotel room, which I'm going to be thrown out of in 26 minutes. So, <laughs> um, um, so perhaps Andy, we could we should move up to wrap up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we've gone through all of uh, all of these films in, in a fair amount of depth. Um, so yeah, as mentioned, uh, Fortune Favors Lady Nikiko ended up being the winner of our audience award for this year. Um, after jury award, uh, the jury award. Yes, not the audience <laughs> award. So we we, we uh, don't know what's won the audience award yet. We'll be at this stage. We have not. no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you are curious about what wins the, the audience award, uh, we will obviously be posting that up on our social channels uh, once uh, that has been decided. So keep an eye on that. Um, and given that you will be listening to this after the festival ends, or at least the physical festival ends, the good news is that it kind of hasn't ended yet because we do also have an online component to the festival this year. 
So if you head on over to online.lovesanimation.com, you will find a curated selection of films available to rent until the end of the month um, for the, the low price of just £4. Uh, we have some some fantastic films on there from uh, SLA's Gone By. Uh, we also have uh, Lupin the First and Ongeku, if you missed those screenings in cinemas. So uh, we have a whole host of, of films that you can enjoy there. Um, but uh, that aside, I think uh, that basically wraps things up. So uh, obviously, keep an, an eye on our social channels. You know, throughout the year, we have a touring film program that uh, we will be sharing more details on in due course as well. Uh, so if you're not in Scotland, watch out. We may be coming to a location near you. Um, so keep an eye on www.lovesanimation.com for that. Uh, but that aside, I think that just leaves me to thank, obviously, all of you listening. And if you uh, were an audience member at any of our screenings, thank you very much for coming. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you back after uh, after last year being online only. It's been fantastic to be, be back in cinemas again at long last. Um, but of course, thank you to uh, all of our, our jurors here. Thank you to Megan Ellis, Claire Forrest and Suzanne Riley. Uh, thank you, of course, to the jury chairman, Jonathan Clements. And as always, a massive thank you to Andrew Partridge for making this entire festival happen. So, um, yeah, thank you, of course, for listening as well. Uh, that is all we have time for. So uh, take care and hopefully we'll be back very soon with more podcasts. So uh, take care and uh, we'll talk to you again very shortly.